0: We are going to take a break this morning from the Apostle Paul. We've been following him along and um, he had a trial that we uh, witnessed there last week and he's still in prison and God willing next week we'll get him on that boat towards Rome. Uh, But this morning we have a special privilege to be able to hear from Brother JT Clark. Uh, Brother JT, many of you all saw either in person or on live stream from our revival earlier this uh, spring and uh, after hearing this story we uh, were moved and said, this is something we've got to share in a morning service. We want to watch the movie that has been made. And and he'll say a little bit more about that when he comes. And so we're very grateful that he has been willing to come. Uh, we're thankful that his wife, although not able to be with him in the early service, hopes to join us later today. And so uh, we're looking forward to meeting her as well. Uh, Brother J.T. Clark grew up in uh, Warrenton, not too far away from us. Uh, today, he lives in Boones Mill, Virginia. Um, still not, Uh, on the other side of the earth so uh, just a couple hours south of us. We're grateful that he has come to share and uh, the ministry that he and Terry Lee lead is called My Brother's Crossing and uh, you'll hear more about that this morning as he shares and so Brother JT invite you to come. May the Holy Spirit be upon you as you share today.
1: Well good morning to everyone. I'm I'm glad to be here with you this morning and uh, it's a privilege. It's always a privilege uh, to get invited to come uh, share a message uh, wherever God might lead. But it's, I counted it an extra blessing when we get invited back. And uh, and so that's what's happened here. It was actually just over two months ago. It was February 23rd of this year when I was here the first time. And it started with, uh, it actually started with Diane. I'm not sure where she's sitting. Uh, she came to see the movie down in Luray and she reached out to Matt and Matt reached out to me and then I had an email exchange with this guy named George Bowers that uh, we went back and forth about coming here for that revival service and had a wonderful time that night. And then on Wednesday, when I woke up, I got a message from a pastor down my way named Marvin Wade. And he said, man, George is some guy, isn't he? He's, he's quite a pastor. And I was like, what? And I, I started looking through some Facebook And I realized Wednesday that George, in fact, was the pastor of the church. I spent the whole evening here and didn't know. Uh, and, and and that's the, that's the spirit of this man. He's got a servant's heart. He doesn't care to be titled. He cares to serve. And, and as a congregation, I can tell you that that's not always the case in the places we've been. And, and, uh, so, uh, uh, in honor of, of your pastor, I just want to say thank you for uh, inviting me back. Uh, I counted a privilege, like I said, to to be here. And all glory goes to God. All glory goes to God. I never thought that I would find myself in such places on Sunday mornings because for 49 years of my life, I had no desire. And God got a hold of me. You talk about Paul. I was on uh, Route 220 down in Franklin County when I had my Damascus Road experience. And my life has been... Holy and holy transformed as a result. And so I'm going to share a, a, a story with you. Some of you that were here or have you seen the recording. You're familiar with it already. But I want to challenge you to, to listen to it with a fresh set of spiritual ears. And process it with a spiritual mind. And receive it with a spiritual heart. And see what God would tell you through this story. I want to read... Two verses before I get into it. And these two verses come right after the Lord's prayer, which we just prayed. It's in Matthew chapter six and it's verses 14 and 15. And it reads as thus, for if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Most gracious and heavenly father, I come to you this morning in the name of Jesus to your throne of grace and mercy that that we might be humbled and receive what you would have for us this morning. You send us out for the one. And father, we are here this morning just praying that one person that needs to hear this will receive what you have for them, father. We ask that our minds and hearts be pricked and prepared. To hear not a story of JT and the Martin family, but to hear a story of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Hide me in the shadow of the cross. Let them see you through me. Let them hear of your work through this testimony, Father. I thank you for the obedience of Jesus Christ himself who allowed himself to be crucified on the cross for my sins. While I was yet still a sinner. While I was an enemy of you, Father, he went for me. It's personal. And Father, I just ask you to have your way in this service. And it's in your precious and holy son, Jesus Christ, my Savior's name. Amen. So I want to share uh, uh, this story that really birthed our ministry. And... I'm going to say a lot of nice things about my brother and his wife, Bobby and Pam, but I want to assure you they weren't perfect. After all, they did cheer for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, my brother was raised right. He was raised a Redskins or a Washington football team fan. But on June 19, 1976, he married Pam and he converted. That's some kind of love right there. I don't get it, but that was one of the criteria on my list for my wife, Terry Lee. You cheer for the right team, don't you? uh just kidding but uh my wife uh, my brother and his wife live lives of service to other people they sought to be disciples of Christ it was evident in the vocations that they chose and it was evident in the relationships and the way they loved on others my brother was a fireman in Fairfax county he was injured on the job hurt his back after 7 years he was retired on disability Through miraculous healings and surgical procedures, he got to a place where, for a time, he and I worked at the hospital together in Warrington. Uh, He took a job with the Commonwealth of Virginia as a hazmat response officer. That's what took him to southwest Virginia. At the end of his life, he served as an emergency manager in Pulaski County, and at the very end, he was serving as emergency manager in Floyd County. His wife was no stranger to service either. You see, she was an orthopedic nurse and she spent her time in the operating rooms helping those who had been injured recover from those injuries. At the end of her life, she had served as a home care and hospice nurse. She would go into the homes of those that were making their transition from this world and she would provide the clinical care, but more importantly, she provided spiritual care. And she would speak words of life and love and truth into the lives that were making their transition. And she would encourage their families that would be left behind. My brother and his wife also served as missionaries in China. As pastor prayed for those missionaries doing that work, I reflected on what they gave up to live in a village so remote that it didn't even have a written language. I could not fathom anybody walking away from the comforts of this world to go serve in such a way in august of 2015 my brother and his wife it was a friday night they left the community in floyd where they lived and they traveled one county to the east henry county to go to a church service at a biker church the church is called trash ministry stands for totally redeemed anointed servants of the most high The pastor of that church had trained as a junior pastor under my brother once upon a time. They knew each other well. The same night that they led a group from Floyd County to Henry County to volunteer or to go to church service, I left Franklin County and I went one county to the south, also to Henry County. I went there to volunteer at a high school football game. I was a member of the chain crew. I was responsible to keep track of downs. That night, my brother and I were two miles apart the whole night. He didn't know I was there, and I didn't know he was there. In the second half of the football game I was volunteering at, an ambulance that was parked at the stadium in case somebody got hurt had to leave. A short distance from the stadium, the ambulance developed a mechanical problem. It overheated, it caught fire, and it burned up. From the stadium, we could see the column of smoke rise into the sky. We could hear the oxygen cylinders as they exploded in the heat of the fire. By the time the game ended, I left the stadium. I made a right turn, went to 220, went back to Boone's Mill. I didn't have any problem. But there was a man attending the same football game I was volunteering at. He was there with his 15-year-old son. And when he left the stadium that night, he turned in a direction where that ambulance had burned. And as he approached the scene, they had extinguished the fire, but the road was still closed while they cleaned up and investigated. And they put this man on a detour to another way home. It just so happens that the road they detoured this man to was the road that my brother was leading that group of motorcycles back to Floyd. And when this man reached the intersection with the road that my brother was on, he made a left turn accidentally turning left of the double yellow lines, he was in the wrong lane. He was coming head on at my brother. The witnesses on the motorcycles behind my brother and his wife said that they tried to avoid each other, that my brother overcorrected on the handlebars of the motorcycle and the motorcycle skidded off in the grass and never hit the truck. But my brother and his wife were thrown to the asphalt in front of the truck and the truck ran them over crushing and killing them word traveled back to that biker church that one of their own was down and mike price he likes to say we're not motorcycle enthusiasts we're bikers long hair tattoo covered leather vest wearing bible carrying jesus loving bikers word traveled back to the church that one of their own was down he said we were charged up with emotion and two dozen of us got on our harleys and we poured out to the scene of the accident it was just a mile and a half from the church They wanted to see how bad it was and who was involved and what could they do. When they arrived, they learned that it was my brother and his wife. And there wasn't anything they could do. They turned their attention on the driver of the truck. The driver in the truck and his son are devastated by what's happened. And there they are standing outside of their truck... On a rural stretch of roadway in southwest Virginia, devastated by what's happened. And they look up and see this mass of humanity that's gathered. They have no idea they're from a church. And they just happen to be black. The son's calling out to his dad. Dad, what's about to happen to us? And this group of bikers makes their way down. To where this man and his son are at. They encircle him. They reach out and lay hands on him. And begin to pray for him. Praying that that 15 year old boy would not be harmed by what he experienced. Think about that for just a minute. What he experienced just moments before. He felt the wheels. He saw. He smelled. And there they are praying for him. And they're praying for the driver of the truck, that he would be lifted and protected from his involvement in the accident. One of the EMS workers that was there to take care of my brother and his wife, there wasn't anything they could do for him. He witnessed what's taking place. And he goes up to the pastor of the biker church and puts a finger in his chest and said, I want to know the God you serve. And accepts Jesus Christ as a savior in the midst of all that was going on. It is evidence of lives lived well when you're positively impacting others, even through your passing. And I'm here to tell you my brother and his wife lived well. On Sunday morning, CJ Martin, the driver of the truck, was in his living room. He was devastated by what had unfolded just hours before. His wife is just begging for him, let's take a walk, let's get some air, let's just go to the mailbox and he can't muster the energy to even pull himself up out of the chair. And the phone rings. When they answered the telephone, it was my brother's daughter. My brother's daughter was calling to tell this man that she understood it was an accident. And as a family, we were gonna move on a path of forgiveness. My brother's daughter was calling to tell this man She never met, never laid eyes on, hadn't seen to say, I love you. I forgive you. And folks, that phone call didn't take place months later, weeks later, within hours of her losing both parents. She's picking up the phone and calling him in that situation. He has since shared with me that receiving that phone call in that moment helped him to get to the next day. Now, make no mistake about it. My niece was devastated by the loss of her parents. She lived on the same property as her parents. They in one house and her and her husband and family in another house. When she got the news, she fell out in the yard, was pounding the ground, was physically ill. But in spite of how she was feeling, she made a choice to reach out to this man and say, I forgive you. I love you. On Monday, my mom, who lives in Culpeper, she wasn't going to travel down to Southwest Virginia until Thursday and Friday for the visitation and funeral. So every day I was calling to check on her. The rest of my family lives around her. And when I called on Monday, my sister answered the phone, and she said, it's not a good day. I said, that's okay. You let her know I called. I'll call again tomorrow. And if she feels like it, she can call me later. About 10 o'clock Monday night, my phone rang. It was my mom. And in a broken, coarse voice, she asked me, did your sister tell you? I said, no, ma. She just said it wasn't a good day. She said, I got a letter from your brother today. My brother, who was killed in a motorcycle accident Friday night, had handwritten a letter to our mother. The morning of the day of the accident, telling her how much he loved her, how good a mom she had been to six kids, how he had allowed life circumstances to interfere with his visitation of her and how much he was looking forward to coming up for her birthday in September. All I could utter was what a treasure, what a treasure. His last thoughts were of you. You know exactly how he felt about you. And I began to reflect the difference in the way my brother lived his life and how I lived my life. You see, you didn't part company with my brother without him letting you know that you mattered to him, that he appreciated you, that he loved you. I was asked to speak on behalf of the family at the funeral. My brother and his wife of 39 years were buried in the same coffin together, casket. I didn't even know you could do that. He was laid on his back, and his wife of 39 years was laid on her side with their, his arm wrapped around her and their hands clasped together. It took 10 of us to carry it. At the cemetery, because of my brother's service in the fire department, they buried him with fire department honors. He was escorted by fire trucks, motorcycles. They had the ladder trucks in the cemetery. And one of the final acts before we departed from the cemetery was Floyd County dispatched a final call in his honor. And I'm going to play that for you. If you're not familiar with the tradition, the 911 dispatcher in Floyd County is going to call for my brother's Fairfax County badge number three times. And when he fails to respond to any of those calls, she'll announce his final call.
0: 423. Floyd County to Fairfax County badge number 423. Floyd County to Fairfax County badge number 423. Attention all units and stations from Floyd County. It is with deep regret that we announce the passing of retired Fairfax County Fire Department Sergeant and retired Floyd County ES-1, Bobby Clark. The tones have been dropped for his last alarm. May the sunshine upon his path May the wind always be at his back, and may the Lord hold him in the palm of his hand till we meet again. Floyd County
1: Clear, 1332. And that night, after services concluded at the cemetery, our family retreated back to comfort and console one another. But the men and women at Trash Ministry had other ideas. They went back to the scene of the accident. They wanted to place a couple of roadside markers in remembrance of my brother and his wife. They wanted to pray for our family. But a detail I haven't shared with you to this point. The man driving the truck is also a pastor. In fact, from the front door of his church, you can see the football stadium where we had been that night. You can see the scene of the ambulance fire. In fact, you can see the scene of the accident. You can wrap your arms around this entire thing. And not only did Trash Ministry show up, but his church showed up. Let that image sink in your mind for just a minute. And there they are praying for our family and praying for his church and his family and praying for his ministry and praying for the community and looking for healing. But it didn't end with prayer. You see, Trash Ministry prepared food and gave money to the Martin family to help sustain them in the days and weeks after the accident. Folks, that's love in action. We're called to pray, and prayer is so important to our faith walk. Please don't think that I'm diminishing that, but we have to be willing to roll up our sleeves and step into somebody else's situation, and that's what trash ministry did. I could end the story right here, turn the service back over to pastor. Maybe there's something in that for you to think about. But C.J. Martin was charged in the accident. He had to be held accountable for what he did. On Monday, October 26th, just over two months after the accident, he was to go to court at 2 p.m. About five days prior to that, I got a stern in me that I needed to be there. I did not want to go. Our family was moving on a path of forgiveness toward Mr. Martin, and I was afraid if I showed up in that courtroom, I wouldn't be able to hold it together. Maybe the judge would make it worse on him. In fact, the morning of his hearing, I left my home in Boone's Mill, and I drove to my job in Roanoke. By 9 o'clock, I was sitting at my desk getting myself ready for the week. When that feeling came over me that was so strong, I had to get in my car and make the hour drive south to the Henry County Courthouse. I was about 45 minutes into that drive and a message came across my spirit. I need you to pay the fine. Pay the fine. This could be thousands of dollars. My family didn't know where I was going. My wife didn't know where I was going. What do you mean you need me to pay the fine? And the very next message was, you don't worry about a thing. You show up and be ready to pay the fine and I'll make a way. I told you my brother was a pastor. He had lived out his faith in front of me. My wife had lived out her faith in front of me, but I didn't want any part of it. I got to the courthouse. I was two hours early. I went inside. I grabbed a seat about four rows back from the front. And I was trying to reconcile and process what had happened. What was I going to do about it? And as I sat there. I thought, okay, we're going to watch this thing play out. Whatever happens, I'm going to go to the clerk and I'll write a check. And I'll use my drive home to figure out how to explain to my wife what I'd done. We'd been married 28 years. I was hoping to get to 29. (laughs) And as I sat there, a third message came. I need you to tell the state trooper who you are and why you're here. There were three state troopers standing in front of the courtroom. There was no activity going on. How in the world would I go tell one of these men what happened? I didn't know which of the three investigated. If I go up there and tell them what's happened, they're going to lock me up. It wasn't my idea to be there, and it certainly wasn't my idea to pay the fine. I finally got the courage, and I went and stood against the wall a few feet away from where these three troopers were talking, and I eavesdropped on their conversation. When I figured out which investigated, I went up to him and I said, sir, my name is J.T. Clark. I'm the brother and brother-in-law of the two that were killed. I wasn't subpoenaed to be here. I wasn't invited. I don't have a role, but I came to pay the fine. He looked back at me like I was from a different planet. He turned, he picked up his investigation folder. He proceeded to walk me back to where I'd been seated. He sat down next to me and he leaned into me and he said, now, what did you just say to me? I said, I came to pay the fine. He said, I've been doing this 37 years. I've never heard anything like this in my entire career. And he opened up that folder and proceeded to walk me through his investigation. He showed me his written report. He showed me the accident scene photographs. And he gave me an explanation of everything he found that night. He said, when I presented this evidence to the Commonwealth attorney, the Commonwealth attorney was considering vehicular manslaughter charges against Mr. Martin. And I gasped. He said, every case I've ever been involved with, the family always wants more penalty, not less. He said, I hadn't talked to your family when I presented this evidence to the Commonwealth's attorney. And when he came at me with vehicular manslaughter, he said, something moved in me. Don't miss that point. Something else was working in him. It wasn't something else. It was the same that was working in me. He said, I pushed back against the Commonwealth's attorney and I told him not here, not in this case. Instead of being charged of vehicular manslaughter, he was charged of reckless driving. That's a big difference. He said, I've investigated hundreds of the cases and the family always wants more penalty. And you walk in here and you're going to pay a man's fine. He said, just a couple years ago, I lost my 24 year old son in a motor vehicle crash. I'm still struggling to deal with the circumstances of that. And he got up and he walked away from me, shaking his head in disbelief. The judge enters the courtroom and he calls the case. And for the first time I see who CJ Martin is, he comes forward with his attorney, the Commonwealth attorney and the state trooper, all four of them standing before the judge. Before the judge, utters the word, the trooper looks over his left shoulder, points a finger in my direction and says, you're a part of this now too. You better come on up here. I was shaking in my shoes. My family doesn't know I'm there. And now I'm standing before the judge. The defense attorney says, your honor, we're prepared to accept a plea deal for improper driving. The judge looks back at him, improper driving. I've got two dead people here. Somebody's going to have to explain something to me he swears his sin he asks the trooper to give an account of course the trooper tells him the very same story shows him the same report the same photographs that he had shared with me a short time before he says your honor there's two more things you need to know this is J.T. Clark he's the brother and brother-in-law the two that were killed and he intends to pay any fine you impose in this case when C.J. Martin heard that he cried out in the courtroom oh my Jesus and he started bawling Months later, he would tell me that when he entered the courtroom that day, he saw the trooper sitting talking with me. And when the trooper called for me to come forward, he said, I just knew you were there to be a witness against me. When I heard what you were there to do, he said, I cried out to my Savior. I couldn't contain it. I just stood there and cried. The judge turned his head and looked at me and said, what in the world would you do that for? Now I had to say something. Well, Your Honor, our family's moving on a path of forgiveness toward Mr. Martin. And frankly, actions speak louder than words. If my being here paying his fine helps him to accept and receive the forgiveness my family's extending so that he can do what he's called to do, enjoy the rest of his life, enjoy his wife and son, Your Honor, that's what I'm here to do. We love Mr. Martin. Judge reaches over, picks up a piece of paper. He says, a few minutes ago, I'm trying to figure out how I can accept a charge of improper driving. And now I'm writing on this piece of paper that the fine is $5. I think about the second message I got on my drive down there that morning. You don't worry about a thing. You show up and be ready to pay the fine and I'll make a way. God wasn't asking me to check my bank account. God wasn't asking me to call my wife and see what she thought about it. God was asking me to show up and be ready to do what he had told me to do. With the case adjudicated, I walked over to C.J. Martin and I grabbed him up in a bear hug. And I said, I got you, brother. It's going to be all right. I could go on and on about things that have unfolded since that day, October 26, 2015. Before I turn it back over to Pastor, I want to remind all of us these couple of points. That day in the courtroom, CJ said, won't you come to my church? I haven't been to church in years. And the first church I'm going to go to is pastor by the man that was driving the truck. And his church sits within sight of the scene of the accident. The relationship that has formed between me and CJ, between our families. We were binded into a covenant relationship that day in that courthouse. That courthouse wasn't a courthouse that day, it was a church. My life began to be transformed. Transformed. On November 15th, 2015, I surrendered. Here my Lord, send me. And nothing's been the same since. On August 27th of 2017, I was ordained as a minister in the church, pastored by the man that ran over my brother. C.J. Martin is our pastor. The ministry office that we operate is located now inside the church building that he pastors, House of Purpose. That's We're on the second floor of Of that church, we just opened the office up at the beginning of this year. It is evidence of the power of God when we will surrender to what he calls us to do. This verse in 14 and 15 isn't a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's a requirement. If you want me to forgive you, you need to forgive others. And when we walk in the fullness of that, When we choose forgiveness over bitterness, when we choose forgiveness over hate, God can work wonders in our lives. I serve an awesome God, a God that I had no desire to know. This is all my life is about now. And I'm thankful that he kept me for a time such as this. Pastor.
0: JT thank you for sharing today a very powerful story we are looking forward this afternoon at 1 we're going to gather again to be able to see the uh, true the movie that was made on these true events um, that will unfold and help us to understand it a little better had the privilege after the the service back in February to visit with JT, and just unbelievable the way that God has used this tragedy um, to bring about good. I'm reminded of Romans eight twenty eight that God is able to work through all things. God does work through not able, He does work through all things to bring about good for those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. Um, this is Exhibit A. <laughs> I mean, just outstanding. Um, Many of us in this room, I suspect, all of us have been done wrong somewhere along the line. Um, Sometimes it might have been accidentally, sometimes it was very intentionally. Um, And maybe, maybe you're struggling with forgiving someone this morning. My hope is that the story J.T. has shared will motivate each of us to let go of whatever that is. To say, you know what, if God can forgive me for what I've done then I'm going to pass that on to somebody else. I'm, I'm going to. Um, and so this morning, our, our closing song is about grace. It's about the grace. of. We started out singing about grace, and, and we're going to finish up singing about grace today. But as we sing that song today, if there's something you need to let go of, there's somebody you need to forgive. Maybe there are many somebodies that you need to forgive. I encourage you to do that right here, right now. If it's something you'd like to, to pray about together, I invite you to come. We'll be happy to pray with you here at the front. Um, if, if it's just something you need to do between you and the Lord, you could do that in your seat. That's fine. But you do what God is calling you to do today. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. We may, we may not have this afternoon, and so do it right here, right now. If you've never met Jesus as your Savior, you can't give to somebody else what you don't have. If you've never experienced His forgiveness, then I encourage you to make that decision today. Accept Jesus, be born again. Come into the family of God that you might be able to, to share with others what He shared with you. Come this morning as we stand, as we worship, and as we sing together, grace greater than all our sin.